Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Well, you may have noticed we had some sound technical issues going on this morning. I'm not a musician, but I'm still amazed at the ability of our worship band to keep on going when the microphone's not working. And um, I mean, I don't know if you know, you probably can't see from anywhere beyond the first row, but Brian broke a string on the guitar, which I just think is the coolest thing. Like that's just so rock and roll, you know? I think it's a, you know, what God cares about is the heart in worship, right? And I think a a beautiful picture of worship is that you just keep on strumming that guitar until you, until the last string is left. Um, You're just exhausting everything you've got to give the Lord praise. Will you join me in a prayer and then we will talk about the resurrection. Father, we thank you for um, the opportunity to gather together in this room, to gather together online, to be able to sing your praises, to celebrate this incredible act of rising from the dead. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that we that you would quiet our hearts, that you would allow us to, to hear and to um, receive what you have for us this morning. Um, Father, I pray that we go from here having engaged with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. He is risen. Let's try that again. So you respond back. He is risen indeed. He is risen. risen Yes. Be prepared. (laughs) On Friday, we took time to remember Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified on the cross. We listened to the eyewitness accounts of his death found in the Bible. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own followers and arrested. His trial was not a fair one, and his execution was a cruel one. Even while on the cross, he was mocked and ridiculed. And even though the Romans had crucified thousands upon thousands of people, there was something different about this one, about Jesus' death. So much so that the Roman centurion who was overseeing the crucifixion, who had probably seen dozens, maybe more crucifixions, when he witnessed Jesus' death on the cross, 
he said, truly, this man was the son of God. But when we parted ways on Friday night, we last left it with Jesus breathed his last. We know from the gospel accounts in the Bible that Jesus was placed in the tomb of a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. He had asked for the corpse of Jesus and placed him in his own tomb. I saw a cartoon this week that showed Joseph of Arimathea talking to someone else, and they said, why would you give him your own tomb? He's like, don't worry, I'll get it back on Monday. This morning we heard the scripture read that described what happened when several women went to the tomb where Jesus' body was buried. And that's why we've gathered this morning. Jesus was no longer in that tomb. So this morning we'll explore the event with three questions. What happened and how do we know? Why did it happen? And what if it didn't happen? What happened and how do we know? Why did it happen? And what if it did not happen? What happened and how do we know? In essence, in the passage we have this morning, we have two scenes. We've already heard one read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Some of the women who had been in the circle of the disciples were going to the tomb, the one that was given by Joseph of Arimathea. They were taking spices and ointments to prepare the body for burial. To their, they, had, they didn't want to do so on the Sabbath, so this is why they were going on Sunday. And to their shock, they found the stone, this huge stone, rolled away. And then even more shocking was they found the tomb empty. There was no Jesus inside. Two men in dazzling clothes were there, and they said this, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third, and on the third day rise. These women who loved Jesus deeply were just clearly not expecting to find an empty tomb. They fully expected to see Jesus' body there. And they went back and told the others, men, and the men did not listen to the women or did not believe the women. Um, they, in fact, Peter ran back to the tomb to see for himself. I'm sure many of the women here can relate to this event. Um, Jesus was not in the tomb. And even though Peter and, I mean, those closest to him really thought they would find Jesus in that tomb, they were as surprised as the women were. Now let's look at the second scene. So uh, I will read Luke 24, 13 to 35. That day, 
That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things they, that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village in, to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And then they told, the, told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. So this scene two, we're taken to another location later in the day. The two men are walking to a town seven miles from Jerusalem, discussing all that happened. And they were among this group of Jesus' followers. They knew Jesus was worth following, but his death was confusing. I think they were expecting to find, to, expecting Jesus to finish differently. Perhaps some kind of triumphant conquering instead. 
but this is not how things happened. Jesus died like a common criminal. And then to make matters more confusing, his body was missing. And that's when this third man, who we know to be Jesus, joins the conversation. He seems clueless about all that happened, and he kept them from recognizing him at first. And so they tell him what was happening. They tell them, they tell him what they were hoping about Jesus, thinking he would be the one to redeem Israel, that he would be the Messiah. And when Jesus revealed himself, they suddenly realized they were with Jesus. And they hurried all the way back to Jerusalem. And suddenly, for these two men, things became very different for them. Jesus' death was not where the story ended. These are just remarkable accounts of the resurrection, eyewitness accounts. The other gospels give additional accounts to us, describing Jesus' appearances. Each one has some unique characteristics to it. Each one is worth taking time to read and meditate on. I want to take a, just a moment to talk about the reasons we can trust these things to be true, that Jesus did actually rise back to life from death. Luke tells us at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke that he was pulling together eyewitness accounts in an orderly account. Why? He was writing to someone named Theophilus, and he said, so that you might have certainty of these things. So here are five reasons why we can trust that Jesus rose from the dead. One, it was a public death and a real tomb. There were too many people accountable for the body for it to just go missing. Centurions were guarding the tomb. They would have faced death for letting the body disappear. And the Jewish community that had him crucified certainly didn't want anything to happen to that body. In the first two centuries after the resurrection, many Roman and Jewish writers wrote against Christianity, but not a single one denied the resurrection. Two, it was a real surprise. It was unexpected. Jesus' bodily resurrection was not on the radar for any of the disciples. Even though Jesus tried to tell them, none of them seemed to really understand it. If it didn't happen, why would they try to convince everyone it did happen if they weren't expecting it? It just doesn't add up, you know? It was a real surprise. Three, these accounts are just unlike anything else. Jesus appeared in this glorified body so that his closest friends didn't seem to recognize him. When you have a story that you're telling that you're really amazed at, usually you like to, you know, make yourself look good in that. 
yeah you know like i don't know my friend brian broke a string on his guitar today like he's my friend you know something like that but that's not the way this that came off they they are very very clear and transparent about their cluelessness he was not like a ghost he could be physically touched he even ate fish in john's account yet he could walk through locked doors and suddenly move to different locations these aren't like the ghost stories or myths or legends that you might hear elsewhere the accounts have details that don't resemble made-up stories. Number four, unlike many, un unlikely and many witnesses. Who was it that first discovered the empty tomb? Women. And in the first century, a woman's testimony did not count. It was not admissible in court. If they were concocting, if they were creating an account of the resurrection, they would just, without even thinking about it, had men look to that tomb first. But here it was women who found it. In fact, you know, as we saw in Luke's account, the women didn't even believe, I mean, the men didn't even believe the women. This adds a truthiness to the story. Paul tells us that 500 people were witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. It's a lot of people to all testify, to all give witness to this. Fifthly, it was an unexplainable event. There have been a lot of theories conjured up to explain away the event of the resurrection. But none of these theories match the eyewitness accounts. Uh, I had a former history professor who was teaching later in a public university in the United States, and he was teaching sort of this broad introduction to Christianity. So a lot of non-Christians and skeptics in the class. And he said, some of the skeptics came up to him and said, you know, you seem like a, a smart guy. Why do you believe this stuff? His answer was really simple. He said, as an historian, I just don't have any other way to explain what happened 2,000 years ago. Alistair McGrath, who was a professor at Cambridge, taught at Oxford, holds three doctorates in intellectual history, theology, and molecular biophysics. I don't even know what molecular biophysics is. He makes this observation about the resurrection. He says this, if resurrections happened regularly, there would be nothing different about Jesus being raised from the dead. He wouldn't be one among many. He would be one among many, just another statistic. If Jesus' resurrection is unique, then by definition, there will be no analogous events. That makes it a lot harder to believe. It also makes it worth believing. It is remarkable. 
And that's partly because it is unique. Why did it happen? Even if we believe in the miracle of Jesus' resurrection, but just merely marvel at what happened, but do not consider why it happened, we are missing an important opportunity. When the two men walking to Emmaus were struggling to understand what had happened, Jesus explained this. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Why was it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? Jesus went to the Old Testament to show why it was necessary. And it goes all the way back to the beginning of human history. Adam and Eve were set in a garden paradise with freedom to cultivate God's creation. There was one thing that was forbidden. Tragically, Adam and Eve made the choice to defy God's rule by doing that one thing. And that set all of humanity on a path of sinfulness. No human from that time on was free from sin. Once the world became corrupted, it was unstoppable for us to change the direction. The Old Testament reveals a God who is in constant pursuit of his people. But it also reveals God's people repeatedly turning away from God. We needed help from outside of ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 3.11, none is righteous. No, not one. This is us. We are sinful, which means we are far from God. It also means that we will face judgment. Two chapters later in Romans chapter 5, I'll read verses 12 to 15. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. In other words, Adam brought never-ending record of sin that we all carry. But Jesus took all of our sin with him to the cross so that our record before God is wiped clean. 
Jesus died because of God's great love for us. Jesus died so that we would not have to die. So what if it did not happen? If Jesus remained dead, then death would still have the final say. It would be a world where forgiveness would only be a sign of weakness, and love would be empty of any real meaning. Jesus' perfect sacrifice did not end in defeat, but rather victory. This morning we read from Isaiah 25, or Isaiah 25, depending on what kind of English you speak. In verse 7, it describes a burial shroud that covers all the nations, indicating that we are destined for death. In verse 8, it says this, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. He will swallow up death forever. If the resurrection did not happen, the burial shroud would still be over us. Death would still be a threat to us. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then he states, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Which then he says, makes us to be pitied the most. There's not another way. Jesus did not come as a sacrifice to offer us an extra option on the religious menu. If the human spirit could lead us to be good, Jesus would not have come to die. If death did not loom over us with the darkest shadow, his resurrection would not have been needed. But the human spirit is not reliable. We not only do wrong to each other, we do wrong to ourselves, and we do wrong to God. Have you done everything right? The only honest answer to that question is no. Jesus knows this even better than you do. He knows your treachery, your foolish behavior, your crooked heart, your bent mind. But he also knows you are precious to God. You are worth dying for because you are God's precious children. So what will you do about it? Will you take a moment to reflect, to look and to listen? Look into your heart. Are you suffocating from your own sinfulness? Does guilt eat at you? Have you experienced shame 
that you just can't shake. Take an honest assessment of who you are and how you stand before God. And then bring these things before God. This is why Jesus came and died and rose from the grave to redeem his children. Confess to God. If you carry a burden of sin, Jesus wants to take this burden from you. Second, listen. Not to me, but to God. God is not silent. What is God trying to say to you? If you leave here today only with an emotional experience, you're missing something. You might be looking for Jesus among the dead. An emotional high is only temporary, and worse, it can mask where we truly stand before God. If you leave here today with only your intellect engaged, Maybe you believe the things that you've heard about Jesus and the resurrection, but your heart remains untouched. You're missing something, and you might be looking for Jesus among the dead. You can know something and not really believe it. Christ is risen and alive, and that changes everything. The universe is different because of this one event in history. Light came crashing into the darkness. How is God speaking to you? Jesus' death and resurrection is of the greatest importance. Place your trust in Jesus with your life. He died that your sins might be forgiven. He rose from the grave so that we might also rise from the grave. Believe in Jesus today. Believe in Jesus tomorrow. Believe in Jesus always. On Friday, we sang the song, the, the, the old hymn, Wondrous Cross, or Wonderful Cross. It gets called different things. Just wanted to put two stanzas up here. When I survey the Wondrous Cross, I'm not going to sing it for you and you can thank me later. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Where every realm of nature, where every realm of nature mine, my gift was still, was still far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. As you meditate on the death and resurrection of Jesus, what is God calling you out of? What is God calling you into? Let Christ bring you from death to life. He is risen. Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you have made 
the demonstration of your great love that even while we were your enemies, you sent your son to die for us, that we might have life and life everlasting. Father, I pray that for all of us in the room, for all of us online, that we might take a moment to, to assess where we are before you, that you would draw us to repent and to believe. Father, we know that there is no other way, that the way that you created through Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. May we embrace Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.